1: This is another podcast of World Wide Wave, the international LGBT news and current affairs show, every week on Australia's first LGBT radio station, Joy 94.9. Surfing the globe, bringing you news, views and current affairs for the LGBT community. This
2: is The World Wide Wave. Good evening, it is World Wide Wave Time, Joy's international news and current affairs show for and by the LGBTI community. We love taking around the globe one queer story at a time. I'm Matt and I am joined in the Victorian Pride Centre tonight with by Stefan. Good evening. And hello, Shannon.
0: Hey. Have you ever asked yourself, what is the difference between a country that embraces and pursues progressive rights for LGBTIQ people and those countries who repress and even strengthen their anti lgbti direction? It is, is it culture, demographics, history, religion? It is a complex question.
1: Mark Giviser, author of the pink line, Journeys Across the World's Pink Fr- Frontiers, has asked that exact question. Aside from proposing a theory of the have versus the have-nots in LGBTI rights, the book also follows the lives of a variety of LGBTI people and their different experiences as as they negotiate the pink line. Here's the taste of what's coming up tonight.
3: As the state ceases to function, as the state ceases to provide schooling, food, welfare, care, love, joy, all these things that, that people need in their lives, the church and the, and the mosque step in, but they step in with this ideology, so more and more people become involved with the church because, really, of, of not just spiritual, but material benefits. But those material benefits come at a cost, and one of the costs is, is signing onto the ideology.
2: Would you visit a country that has really poor LGBTI rights? Maybe you have visited, and you can tell us your experience about how you felt. Should we even boycott some of these countries? Mm.
1: No social movement has brought changes so quickly and with such dramatically mixed results than the global LGBTI rights movement. While same-sex marriage and gender transition are celebrated in some parts of the world, laws are being strengthened to criminalise homosexuality and gender non-conformity in others. The difference between them has a name, the pink line. Mark Geviser took seven years to write his book titled, The Pink Line, Journeys Across the World's Pink Frontiers. We started by asking Mark to explain exactly what this mysterious pink line is.
3: Matt, the pink line is a, a concept that I use to describe the way the world has been defined and described and divided in an entirely new way in the 21st century. Um, a line on a geopolitical line on, on one level between those parts of the world that have become more inclusive and affirming of lgbtq people and on the other side of that line um, those parts of the world where in backlash both legislation and culture has become increasingly homophobic and transphobic almost as a reaction to what's happening on the other side of the line so on on that level, the pink line um, you know, runs between countries. Uh, at the moment that we're doing this interview, it, it runs very sharply between Russia and the Ukraine, between um, Putin's sphere of influence and the EU's sphere of influence. And, and in fact, the, the way that Vladimir Putin began this war with the Ukraine in 2013, uh, when the Ukraine was uh, wanting to join the European Union, was through a campaign that said, EU equals homosexual marriage, or, put more graphically on billboards um, all over Kyiv at the time, the way to Europe is up the ass. Um, so this was a way that Putin and Russian nationalists chose to define a kind of decadent, neo-colonial, expansive, liberal, western, secular society, uh, that being a society that protects LGBT rights, or that that gives rights to these perverts and freaks. And in that way, um, people on Putin's side of the line were drawing the pink line over the old iron curtain. On the other side of the pink line, we might find people such as you and me, um, who in the name of international solidarity, might feel that what um, constitutes uh, the most um, uh, sophisticated and fairest society is, is a society that grants rights to people like us, and therefore we want to encourage or even impose this idea on other countries. Um, And perhaps we have this idea that we want to rescue or save people on the other side of the pink line um, who might be struggling and suffering. So we, we might have our own political agenda which makes us feel better about who we are and how we are in the West and how we are the most advanced societies compared to other societies which which sort of work along different trajectories when it comes to understanding sexuality and gender. But the pink line as well, I think, if I can just say one more thing about it, is I think it doesn't only define countries, it runs through countries as well. Um, see how the culture wars play out in a country like the United States, which is on so, on, on so many levels a, a leader in LGBTQ rights, but where there are these culture wars that were first about whether gay people should have rights and now about whether trans people should have rights. The pink line, I think, also runs very importantly between a sort of um, a virtual existence where you can sort of log on to this kind of global digital identity and find other people like you and and develop an idea of what it means to be gay or lesbian or trans or queer. But there's a line you cross when you Look up from your smartphone into a pink line that you cross when you look up from your smartphone into the eyes of a punitive parent or a state that says that what you're doing is illegal or a, a church that says what you're doing is, um, or a master says that what you're doing is, is, is immoral and sinful. That's a pink line too.
2: There's a whole lot there that, and I want to go into detail on a few more of those things, but the, the speed of progress in LGBT rights has actually been very fast. I mean, we've had very, very big changes in, you know, just over 50 years. Why is it so fast?
3: I think it has a lot to do with globalisation and the moment at which this happened. So um, if you like civil rights or, or anti-colonial rights, the rights to self-determination or feminism happened in eras where time literally moved more slowly. Um, This latest iteration of a a human rights movement, LGBTQ rights, has happened at a time when the world is moving faster than ever before, primarily because of the digital revolution, of course. Of course. What I just said about the way um, you can find out more about this stuff or join um, in a way that was impossible for for a gay boy of my generation growing up in the 1970s, um, isolated. So it's the digital revolution, but it's not only the digital revolution. It's the other vectors of globalization, too. It's mass migration. It's it's how quickly um, people can move from one zone to another, either as economic migrants or as refugees or as perhaps students. I mean, the number of people who leave African countries to study in Europe, and while they're in Europe, they discover a community that enables them to... Express who they are, and then they have to. Then they come back to Africa with these ideas. As the father of my Palestinian friend Tarek said to him, Cambridge made you this way, meaning Cambridge University. Um, there's also the rapid urbanisation that's happened. If you look at how quickly uh, the cities of Asia have grown, India, China, and what happens is when you leave um, the countryside to go and work in the city. You, in a way, are uncoupled from the feudal relationships of the countryside, from from the patriarchy. As you enter a capitalist society, you become valued more for your productivity than your reproductivity. No one really cares what you do with your libidinal energy, so long as you contribute economically. Your family back home might also give you a pass for marriage if you are um, contributing financially to to the family profits. Uh, Commodity capitalism has a huge amount to do with this too. The way um, multinational corporations such as Google or Coca-Cola or Starbucks have these sort of inclusive values and and export these inclusive values globally. The way gay culture has, has spread internationally through television through shows like Will & Grace or Modern Family, You're, you'll find this funny, um, we have on, on Netflix the, the wonderful Melbourne comedy Please Like Me is available in South Africa. Yes, And um, I had a, a fascinating conversation with the mother of, of a black gay man in South Africa who was telling me about how she had come to terms with her child's sexuality. And she said that he forced her to watch Please Like Me with, <laughs> with him. And she struggled a little bit with the sex, but she loved that, I forget his name, Josh. Josh she loved yes, Josh, Josh so much that that she decided, and she thought Josh was a lot like her son. And she could see that Josh's parents really loved him. And, and that helped her come to terms with her son. I mean, there you have global entertainment, digital culture, kind of a, a, an object lesson in how it has made things happen so quickly.
2: Author of The Pink Line, Journeys Across the World's Pink Frontiers, that's Mark Gavissa with us on Joy 94.9. And coming up, we speak with Mark about a gay couple in the Middle East and their very challenging story. This is World Wide Wave.
0: Joy.org.au, not just a radio station. Hi, this is Lee from Massachusetts for the World Wide Wave.
2: We put the call out to you for um, if you've been to any countries yeah. where there are uh, you know poor LGBT rights. What was your experience, or are you avoiding a country? Like I don't think I'm terribly fond of going to a lot of countries in in the Middle East. Just yeah. it's you know. it's
1: hard because countries like Indonesia, you know, Bali is very progressive, and but the rest of Indonesia not so much. So how what do you do? Do you because it's the same. Like we'll the same government all around, mm. you know. So, do you go to Bali, but then? Yeah, or not go at all. But well, then you've also travelled to... in the Middle East a lot, though, too. So, how, how did Me? you find that? Yeah. No, I haven't, actually. Oh. <laughs> no, I've, I've purposely avoided the Middle East, Okay, of that. I've been to Tunisia, but that's when I was young. My dad lived there. Okay. Uh, mm. But apart from Tunisia, I haven't really gone to anywhere.
2: What about you, Shannon? Been anywhere where it's a bit dodgy? Yeah, no, a bit I, w-
0: <clears throat> I was in Malaysia for a couple of months mm. doing, like, an internship. And so, how
2: comfortable were you about being yourself?
0: Well, I just didn't, like, tell anybody.
2: It was just all secret, yeah.
0: I mean, I, the people I went to uni with knew because I had told them. But, like, it wasn't something... I just didn't bring it up, like, in public places. Yeah.
2: yeah. So, it's kind <laughs> of... Like almost the, go back in the closet just for, for your own safety.
1: But we've interviewed um, a scholar in Malaysia a few times, Joe Joseph Goh, <laughs> and he's openly lgbtiq and spoken to us about the situation in malaysia a couple of times and so it's it's hard to yeah. um,
0: well i knew people there who had like been in places when and they had been like raided and stuff like that mm. yeah. so like i they knew like because i have a friend who was malay who was malaysian and who's um gay and they were like just keep it on like just try yeah. not to say it too loudly yeah. in like public places
2: Now, we've been speaking about the haves and the have-nots in LGBT rights tonight and what determines which path a country (laughs) might head down. Personal stories also underpin Mark Gavis's book, The Pink Line. Mark spoke with a number of different LGBTI commu- community members across multiple years to see how their lives changed. He shared with us one example of a gay couple in the Middle East, one Palestinian and the other Israeli, and the complexities of their relationship and how they are forced to walk the pink line.
3: Well, it's Fadi and Nadav, and Fadi is a Palestinian man, a Palestinian Christian man, Arab, with a Palestinian identity, and Nadav is a, is a Jewish-Israeli. And they find each other and find love in a context that is very fraught, because in in Israel in particular, the pink line is drawn over the green line that separates um, the occupied territories of Palestine from the 1948 boundaries of Israel. And Israel stands accused, very correctly in my view, of pinkwashing its human rights record by being very pro-gay. So Israel takes a very pro-LGBT stance as a way of saying, look how democratic we are, look how modern we are, look how civilized we are, as opposed to those evil, dirty Arabs on the other side of the line. Now, if that's what's happening on the Israeli side, on the Palestinian side, something else is happening. On the Palestinian side, gay and homosexual is becoming increasingly associated with an oppressive colonial West. And there are many, many ways that that happens. So someone like Fadi is, is caught in a in, in a very difficult cultural, political trap. And as somebody who lives in Israel, because his parents were born in Israel, they, they didn't have to flee during the bath He speaks about how he is how difficult it is to be kind of uh, valorized or even fetishized as a gay man, but to be treated as a second-class citizen as a Palestinian. And, of course, those dynamics manifest themselves in the relationship between body and labor, And I track the way um, they manage them and deal with them uh, in, I think, a very beautiful and and, and productive way uh, as both of them try to find identities that are are perhaps... um, Let's say that they strive for identities that are post-nationalist. That's what they strive for, even though... uh, Fadi's Palestinian identity is very important to him, and he was raised with it, Um, he's trying to find an identity that is um, a kind of urban identity that transcends tribe or ethnicity or politics. Of course he can't, I mean, it's impossible, particularly in an environment like Israel.
2: You mentioned earlier trans people who seem to bear the brunt of outrage and discrimination even in countries where there has been progress in gay and lesbian rights, why do you think trans people are singled out so often?
3: Look, if you go back to the, to the very beginning of the anti-gay movement in a country like the United States, it begins with Anita Bryant and save the children. We need to protect the, our children from this evil force that's going to corrupt them and pervert. And what happened very brilliantly, I mean, it was really the Americans who wrote the script for this, is it became a very powerful mobilizing tool for the religious right And um, it, it helped um, put Ronald Reagan in power, it helped keep the Bushes in power, and it certainly kept Donald Trump in power. Now, as the 20th century developed and as homosexuality became kind of normalized in so many ways as as the gay rights movement was happening in tandem with this religious right movement. So increasingly you could stand up and preach fire and brimstone against homosexuals in your church. But increasingly there were gonna be women in those church whose sons had come out to them, or or men in those church who who worked with a with a gay colleague who they really valued. or, or or people in those churches who had, who had lesbian neighbors, and and so that um, that campaign was losing its traction. And if you look at if you look, it's very interesting. If you look at surveys, at opinion surveys in the United States, you see that the anti-trans movement began kind of at the very moment that opinion shifted in the United States. A majority opinion shifted. Uh, towards accepting uh, same-sex marriage and marriage equality. Now, at the same time as, as that was happening, coming on the back of the gay rights movement, a trans movement was coming out. So for the first time, trans people were, were coming out as never before, using the momentum of the gay rights movement, the gay and lesbian movement. So there was a perfect storm. On the one hand, trans people were more visible than ever before, and particularly young trans people. And on the other hand, the religious right was finding a new target, a new boogeyman, a new way to mobilize people. And Save the Children becomes really powerful again when it's now about saving your children from these trans women who are going to molest them in women's toilets or from this movement, this gender movement that is going to turn boys into girls and girls into boys. So the way we save our children is by keeping these transgender people at bay. And this is really that something I mean I have to say that was invented in the West this, this, this political playbook, and, and in the United States particularly. What makes it so complicated in our era, as you know in Australia too, is, is that queer people now need to fight this on two flanks. Because there's another anti-gender movement from the left which are uh, what you might call um, fourth-wave feminists or gender-critical feminists, who since the beginning of trans identity have had problems with trans identity, and they believe they need to save children too. And that, that I think, makes the the trans debate particularly fraught in countries like Australia or, or the United Kingdom or the United States, where it has to be fought on those two fronts.
2: Speaking from South Africa, that's Mark Gavisa, author of The Pink Lion, Journeys Across the World's Pink Frontiers, with us on Joy 94.9. Uh, at the start there, he was talking about the Russia-Ukraine, which mm. is very, very topical everywhere, but topical for LGBT people. But the, the, the Russia's done the same in Georgia as well. I mean, we've
1: interviewed Georgi Tabagari from uh, Tbilisi Pride a couple of times, and he was telling us that you know, a lot of the anti-gay, anti-LGBTQ sentiment in Georgia was fueled by uh, Russian um, propaganda. propaganda, oligarchs, all those things. So there was the church, but also the Russian and the Russian were being doing so, a lot.
2: It's the, the, both the political realm and mm. also the religious realm that are, you know, they have to find, a, a, as Mark said, a boogeyman yeah. or a boogeywoman, mm. uh, somebody, you know, to demonise so that they get a voice or, yeah. Or, yeah. Mm. Um, it was interesting hearing his thoughts about the, the anti-gay playbook that this is, you yeah. know. Yes.
1: And, um, and I think the the. What's happening in Israel as well is really interesting, you know. And I think we we interviewed Basham Murad as well from Palestine, and uh, who was telling us that yes, Israel is very progressive, but not for the LGBTQ people from the occupied territories, because they they can't actually go to places in Israel, and they've got you know it's very difficult. Yeah. So it's
2: yeah. And then and the whole issue of trans. um um uh, mm. persecution um we've uh, just recently seen jk rolling again
0: well, in right the media on,
2: yeah on twitter so t-
0: talking
1: about de-transitioning and all this wow.
0: now publicly, publicly separating herself from putin
1: <laughs> yeah i don't know if we should give her any air time actually i oh. mean
2: <laughs> we we won't uh, coming up on Joy 94.9 we explore the good and the bad side of marriage equality this is worldwide wave
0: turn us on Joy is on iHeartRadio. Joy 94.9 4.9 is Australia's only LGBTQIA plus community radio station.
2: Community radio stations are run entirely on the support of our listener business and organisation members and donors, which means we can't keep broadcasting amazing Rainbow content without your help. That's right, you. You can support Joy by becoming a full member, donate monthly via our subscription service or make a one-off donation.
0: Any amount helps. Help keep Rainbow independent voices on air.
2: Head to joy.org.au forward slash members for more information.
0: This is Ryan Reid from the International Gay Rodeo Association, saddling up with World Wide Wave on
3: Joy
0: 94.9. It's the show that takes you around the globe, one queer story at a time, World Wide Wave. And a special hello to everybody listening to us on podcast. You can subscribe to receive our podcasts automatically, either at joy.org.au forward slash World Wave, or on iTunes, or your favourite podcast platform. And don't forget to leave us a review.
2: Now, it is Radiothon Eve. What's Radiothon? What's Radiothon? You must know what Radiothon <laughs> is. Um, it is our big annual uh, fundraiser and membership drive. It commences tomorrow uh, with mm. the breakfast team, and we are going to unbolt the vault <clears throat> this year. So, basically, hidden here in the Pride Centre is a massive vault. I think it's under the desk here. Under the desk, <laughs> <laughs> um, There just- is... Lots of presents. About $30,000 worth of prizes. And by taking out a membership or renewing membership, if you're already a member, or donating more than $40, you get a chance to get a key to that vault. Especially if it's done during our two-hour special World Wide Wave next week. Next week. We'll be on air from 6 till 8 with our special radiothon show. And we've got a few uh, surprises coming along for that one as well. It is going to be an incredible time and uh, the prizes are, there's um, flights, there's uh, cosmetics, there's cinema stuff, there's uh, cruises, my gosh, there's just a wealth of things. And you can grow with us, grow with joy is the theme. Uh, So kicking off from tomorrow, make sure you uh, get ready to become a member or give us a donation at joy.org.au.
0: Joy 94.9 Australia's marriage equality debate although painful was ultimately unifying a mass collective of Australian people across city and country voted to support rights for LGBTI people yet in some countries where the chance of marriage equality rights is far off if at all the topic is used as a wedge to prevent even the most basic LGBTI rights such as decriminalisation we asked Mark Jeviser, author of the book The Pink Line, what he thought the difference was between countries that adopt progressive change and others who harden their opposition to queer rights.
3: Look, I mean, I think that, that, that's a wonderful question, and I think there are many components to that. The first component has to do with culture and religion. And you'll find, <laughs> with a couple of really interesting exceptions, that the countries that have embraced marriage equality are countries that are increasingly secular or where organized religion has been discredited. So even in a country like Ireland, which of course is the sort of standout, you know, this country where, this supposedly Catholic country where 64% of the population voted in in a referendum, a referendum that really inspired your movement in Australia, voted for marriage equality. The mobilizing point, the unifying point was primarily against the hypocrisy of the Catholic Church that molests children, or protects priests that molest children, forces people to give birth to children, even at risk to their own health, and yet doesn't allow two loving, consenting adults to marry. So it was a disaffection with the Catholic Church that really drove the marriage equality movement in a profound way in Ireland. Now, in certainly in African countries, the very opposite has happened, in terms of organized religion. This is that in recent years, organized religion, and particularly evangelical organized religion, using the American playbook we've already been speaking about, has become stronger. And one of the reasons why it's become stronger is because it inevitably takes the place, whether it's Islamism or fundamentalist Christianity, it takes the place of the failed state. As the state ceases to function, as the state ceases to provide schooling, food, welfare, care, love, joy, all these things that people need in their lives, the church and the, and the mosque step in. But they step in with this ideology. So more and more people become involved with the church because, really, of of not just spiritual, but material benefits. But those material benefits come at a cost, and one of the costs is is signing onto the ideology. And, and it's absolutely fascinating to me that um, if I look at a country like Nigeria, which has this very sophisticated intellectual population, really it's, it's one of the most um, worldly and sophisticated middle classes in the world, but, but everybody is also a member of a church. And the churches are so r- rampantly and rabidly homophobic that it's just impossible to come out even if you are a a, a sophisticated, worldly, middle-class professional. I mean, so you can't even think about marriage equality. So that's one reason. Another reason I would add to that is the cynical maneuvers of the homophobic movements in these countries. So if we just stick with Nigeria for a moment. I write in my book about how in the very same year that Britain passed into law its Same-Sex Marriage Act, Nigeria passed a prohibition of Same-Sex Marriage Act making it illegal even to advocate for same-sex marriage. Now, Nigerians Nigerian queer people weren't even, I mean, it's not on the agenda there. I mean, sure, they'd like to get married someday, who wouldn't, particularly when you go online and you see that people are getting married elsewhere. But really, the, the Nigerian agenda is about rights to privacy, privacy, security, and dignity. Nobody's calling it marriage. The opposition, by calling it marriage, Set a cat amongst the pigeon. They're blowing a dog whistle. They're saying, if you give these people just the, 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 the minimum rights, the most basic rights, the next thing they're going to be marrying each other in our churches and what's going to happen to our society. And you know what, Matt, what's very complicated is, is that they're not wrong. Rights are rights are rights. And if you start on a journey of, of giving people rights, of acknowledging people's rights to privacy and choice, to freedom and dignity, Somewhere down the line, those rights are going to include marriage equality. So it's a fight against time in many respects. Um, But I think what's important to notice is that it's a fight being waged in those countries by the homophobic opponents and not by queer people themselves. You don't really, with a couple of of notable troublesome exceptions, you don't really find queer people fighting for their right to get married in those societies.
2: Mark, you've seen all these stories heard of these stories around the world do you have hope is it a book of hope
3: you know i i'm writing non-fiction rather than fiction so i cannot determine how the stories end the stories end and are ongoing in ways that i didn't expect and there are not very many happy endings in my book sad to say people get divorced um they go into they go into exile as refugees and they find that life is actually tougher in canada than it was in uganda that's life. Um, it's a book of hope insofar as I believe hope resides in the tremendous courage that the people I write about display in their determination to live their lives as they, as they believe they are, rather than to succumb to the sociocultural, political, religious mores that oppress them. I think that that's incredibly hopeful. But I also think that we have this, this illusion in countries like Australia, or the United Kingdom, or even South Africa, where I live, that, you know, as, as Martin Luther King said, the long arc of, of history bends towards justice. Um, I think that it's more complicated. And what I've seen in my research is that it's more of a pendulum of action and reaction, of rights, claim, and then backlash. And I really think that, particularly for those of us who live in countries where there is the kind of freedom that you have, Matt, or that I have, we need to understand that. We need to understand the way that the pendulum swings and how this is by, by no means a sort of clear path to some kind of rainbow emancipation.
2: The book is The Pink Line, Journeys Across the World's Pink Frontiers. The author is Mark Gavissa, joining us from South Africa. Mark, thank you so much for speaking with us on World Wide
3: Wave. Thank you for the wonderful questions.
2: The pendulum is a wonderful, um, you know, um, symbol symbol that he's mentioned there that really says rights are never guaranteed. Yeah. They can go back. I mean, we're, we're and missing this that. in America at oh. the moment, particularly with the, you know, the Don't Say Gay Bill and all those sorts of things. Mm. Um, and I, I, you know, the number of countries that still criminalise homosexuality has been going down, has been edging down, I should say. But it feels like there's a number of countries that are just hardening their stance even more it does make you wonder if there is ever a time when um uh you know being lgbt will be okay around the world it's
1: it, 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 as you said i think it's never guaranteed it, it's just it looks like you know some Countries are bringing these rights and then others are going back. I mean, we see what's happening in Poland. Mm. And, you know, and uh, and the war in Ukraine is going to push back a lot of the things for that were acquired for
2: LGBTIQ people. Well, Poland's back like in Europe's good books at the moment because it of the is, Ukraine yeah, war. So it's It like,
0: is. Well, but I mean, the LGBT refugees from Ukraine going to Poland are going to soon find out that mm. they're not in a place that welcomes them.
1: Mm. Yeah, it, it's, uh, I don't know, the pink washing they do when the when countries want to get into the EU.
2: Mm. We've seen that with some of those Baltic countries. <sighs> yeah. it's The, the only, the, on the upside, because we do like to finish on an upside, um, <laughs> so the, the hope comes from the individual yes. courage and, you know, that's what we've seen time and time again.
0: And we see that with like everyone show. we talk to.
2: Yeah. Like mm-hmm. a lot
0: of people from countries where, like, they're afraid to talk.
2: Well, where their lives might have yeah. be at risk and they yeah. still speak out. And they you know, people
0: who are like in hiding and, you know, but still know how important it is that the more we talk about yeah. it and then the more ch- likely change Pe- will come.
1: People that have been arrested that tell us about that, that, that are fearing for being arrested just for talking to us. Mm. And I think that there's still this great advocacy and, and, and support of the LGBTIQ community that
2: comes from that. Which is why we're here and we mm. keep telling those stories here on Joy. Listen live or on demand from wherever you are in the world. Stream us live on joy.org.au or subscribe on iTunes or your favorite podcast platform to World Wide Wave.
3: This is Georgi Tabagari from Tbilisi Pride on World Wide Wave, Joy 94.9.
2: The world's longest running radio show dedicated to international LGBTIQ news and current affairs. This is World Wide Wave from Australia's Rainbow Radio Station, Joy 94.9. A huge thank you to our guest tonight, Mark Gavissa, author of the book The Pink Line: Journeys Across the World's Pink Frontiers. It's available at Hares and Hyenas right here at the Victorian Pride Centre, the bookshop on Oxford Street if you're in Sydney or your favourite bookstore. And we're going to be posting, because Mark was such an interesting interview, we're going to be posting an extended podcast of the full interview on our World Wide Wave page or your favourite podcast service uh, tomorrow night.
0: And
1: thank you for the messages on Facebook, Adam, James, Liz, Peter and a heap more who have joined or interacted with us on Facebook this past week and that's Double, Double,
2: W3Joy <laughs> on Facebook.
0: And thank you to those behind the scenes, our podcaster Peter and social media master Dean.
2: We'll be back next week with more World Wide Wave. Thanks for listening to another podcast from World Wide Wave, the show that
1: takes you around the globe one country at a time. Worldwide Wide Wave is the international news and current affairs show on Australia's LGBT radio station, Joy 94.9. You can listen live every Tuesday night on 94.9 FM in Melbourne and online at joy.org.au. You'll find all our podcasts at joy.org.au slash World Wave or follow us on Facebook for the latest international LGBT news Search W3Joy on Facebook now.
0: This podcast was produced by Joy Media. You can support Joy's diverse sound and diverse community this June by donating to Joy Radiothon 2024. Go to joy.org.au slash radiothon. And remember, we all flourish with joy.